Vanya, who was quite a coward, once upon a moonless night, crossed a graveyard heading homeward, sweating, trembling, pale with fright. Barely breathing, he keeps tripping. Why'd he come here all alone? Vanya freezes, growling, ripping, sounds of teeth attacking bone. Lord, are Vanya's fancy drawing, nightmare pictures of the scene. That can only be the gnawing of the red-lipped Viridalak fiend. Woe is me, I'm just a weakling, no match for the fierce undead. But I've heard a prayer while eating, graveyard dirt will save your head. Wait, mouth full, he sees his error. There upon a fresh-dug mound, crunching bones and causing terror, sits a mangy graveyard hound. All right. Well, that, that was a, that's a fun little, little creepy Halloween poem. But, uh, Dave, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand what it's all about. What, what's this red-lipped verdelac? Yeah, it sounds like like an old Soviet brand of a car or something, doesn't it? Yeah, one that gets really bad gas mileage. With the uh, with the with the rubber hanging hanging down off the back bumper, hit touching the ground. <laughs> exactly, but no, it's uh, it's not that at all. Avurdalak, it is a word that Pushkin invented, and avurdalak in Russian is a vampire. <laughs> Upon a midnight dreary, two Americans did journey into deepest, darkest Russia, searching for the Vurdalak. To this day their scars remain, because on New Year's Eve they came across some fireworks and launched them straight from each of their butt cracks. Welcome to our third annual Halloween episode of... To Russia with blood. <laughs> okay, well, well, now that now that makes a little bit more sense. Verdelak is a uh, is the same thing as a vampire, right? And so he he was freaked out that 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 was what he was going to run into and going through the grave, huh? Right, and it's a you know it's a lighthearted poem because in the end, turns out it's not a vurdalak chewing on human bones at all. It's actually just a little graveyard dog who's sitting there chewing on a bone. <laughs> and this was written by by one of Russia's favorite prose writers, Pushkin, right? Oh yeah, Pushkin. Like I mean, the the poet of Russia, obviously yeah. the most well known one. Uh, when well, the first time we went to Russia, Murph was with us, and he had Murph had really big curly hair and yeah. sideburns, and he looked exactly like Pushkin. Everyone was telling him he looked like Pushkin. Yeah, every yeah, that was what everyone was calling him. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And then and then one day we were wa- we were walking and we saw a uh, statue, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, you do look exactly like Pushkin." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, spitting image, <laughs> just to a T. Yeah, Pushkin, an amazing poet. And he, he invented, he brought the word Vurdalak into the Russian language. He, okay. uh, it was actually, the, the word itself, it has roots in other Slavic languages. Um, but a lot like Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare invented a lot of words and or yeah. brought words into English from other languages. Yeah. And same story with Pushkin. So he, he brought Vurdalak into Russian, but ever since then, because Pushkin is Pushkin, everyone else starts saying Vurdalak too. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that later on in the episode, but it's a word he introduced into the Russian language. Yeah. So uh those of you who've been listening with us for the last few years, you know that uh we love Halloween. Um we've talked about it in previous episodes. This is our third Halloween episode and and we always like to do something a little creepy, a little spooky. Um and we're going to talk about um we're going to talk about some of the creepy and spooky supernatural things in Russian literature today. So that's why we started off with Pushkin. We've got a few other, um, a few other stories that we're going to kind of detail, but uh, there's some, you know, supernatural things that happen all over in 
Russian literature with people with with authors that are kind of common throughout the whole world, right? Uh, tell us a few of those, uh, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it 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 goes with the the culture of Russia, of course. There, you know, the yeah. culture is so rich in all this folklore, and all the creepy folklore, which we've talked about in last season. If you haven't yet, and if you're into Halloween like us, check out our our past Halloween episodes too. Yeah, our our last season, season two. We ended it with our Halloween episode talking about witchcraft and witchcraft traditions in Russia. A season before that, we talked about uh, strange paranormal, true paranormal stories from Russia. Yeah. Uh, so Russian authors have, have drawn from this really long history of the, the creepy and macabre legends. And and you see that over and over. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, Dostoevsky's Ivan Karamazov is talking with the devil in one scene. Uh, yeah. Anna Karenina, she has these dreams that are predicting bad fortune in the future. Uh, you've got the Bulgakov's novel, Master and Margarita. The devil is a main character in that book, even. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's, in modern literature, there's the series that you actually got me into, Grant, which is just filled with supernatural stuff. Oh, yeah. The Nightwatch series by Sergei Lukyanenko. Yeah. He uh, you know brings in just all these supernatural forces, sorcery and vampires, and what is there, shapeshifters? What else? Yeah, I just restarted this series. I uh, it's a six book series, and I I just finished book four about a week ago. And there are magicians, sorcerers, vampires, werewolves, uh, witches, and a lot of these kind of come from some of the the lore, the folklore from Russia. Like you said, this is one of my favorite series, and uh, it always brings me back to Russia when I read it because of the way the characters are written. Right, he wrote it obviously in Russian originally and it and the translation is great. It's kind of like a Harry Potter style of of book set in Russia. Right. I highly recommend that to anyone who's out there, you know, looking for some some good reads. What I like about it is that it's not Manichaean black and white good guys squeaky clean and bad guys super evil. There's a yeah. lot of bleeding over and a lot of complex characters. And the good guys, just because they're on the light side of this force that that doesn't mean that they all behave morally and it yeah. doesn't mean all the dark ones are entirely evil either. It's very complex. Yeah. A lot like game of Thrones people have, yeah, absolutely. Uh, have really appreciated that of just complex characters. It's, it's very complex. I, I hope someday to, to be able to do a little series here with to Russia with love where we can go through it, maybe do a book club and we talk it, talk about it chapter by chapter. Cause there's so much that we can get out of that, but there's so much out of all of, Russian literature that we can get, especially in some of this macabre, creepy, unsettling type stories that are out there. We've got quite a few that we want to get through today. Dave, you're you're really the the expert here when it comes to some of the Russian literature. So uh, start us off. What are we going to hear about today? Well, the first story we're going to look into is uh, one of my favorites of all time, not just from Russian horror, but in or Russian literature, but just literature period. Yeah. I love this story and it it is genuinely creepy and it really does freak me out even though it was written in the early 1800s. And that's the story by Nikolai Gogol and it's V V I Y V. Oh, yeah. We we briefly talked about this story 2 years ago in our Halloween episode when we mentioned Gogol's skull and the the weird things that happened around that, but we, we never really dove deep into this story. Yeah, you. so you remember us talking about Gogol and how he, he was into esoteric stuff and people thought, somebody thought his skull would have like secret magical properties, so they stole yeah. it. And wasn't it that the train carrying the skull disappeared or there was something really weird like that? It had, I think it had to do with some kind of ghost train, yeah. Something really, really strange. Yeah. Somebody stole it and then got away or didn't get away, but the train disappeared, or really weird stuff around that. But he wrote about a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, he had a he had a few different macabre, creepy stories, and uh, we're actually going to come back to him later in the episode because there, he's okay. got two stories that we can't leave off this list. But yeah. he is is one of them. It is I, I put it at the top of any list of Russian horror, Russian supernatural fiction. Yeah, it's it's a novella. It's a short novel. It was published in the first volume of his collection of tales that was called Mirgorod, and that was in, uh, it came out in 1835, Mirgorod. Wow. It's spelled Mirgorod in, uh, to gringify it for you. All right. And that collection, I, 
contains V, and he, he drew on a lot of Ukrainian and Russian folk traditions for it. Um, now, the story begins with a description of this creature. It's almost like an anthropological description, hmm. talking about V, and it says, V, the king of the gnomes, uh, he was this colossal monster in Ukrainian folklore, and the description says that he had eyelashes that reach all the way down to the floor. Okay. Now, that's one of those weird elements in a supernatural stories that like you could think of it as a comical thing like oh really long eyelashes what's so scary about that but the thought of them reaching all the way to the floor it just creeps me out there's it's in that uncanny <laughs> valley the, yeah <laughs> just like why are they so long man almost real but like it, okay that's yeah that's strange that doesn't look like that should be natural it, you know what it reminds me of? Did you ever read the scary stories to tell in the dark books by Alvin Schwartz with the creepy illustrations? And... Oh, years and years ago. Yeah. Those things freaked me out. Oh, yeah. They, they traumatized anyone who grew up in the 80s, I think. They, they traumatized our childhood. Yeah. And there's a story in there in the second book. It's called The Drum. And it's based on a much older English story called The Other Mother. And the, the idea of the story is that these kids are behaving really badly, and their mom tells them, if you keep on behaving badly, I'm going to leave, and you're going to get a new mother with glass eyes and a wooden tail. And she's not kind. <laughs> right, not kind at all. Yeah, okay. And just the thought of that, like, it's such a weird element. Like, why does she have glass eyes and a wooden tail? Huh. And then the story ends with they, they come home, and the mom has left, and the new mother's there, and... And her glass eyes are glittering in the firelight and her wooden tails thump, thump, thumping on the floor. Yeah. And it's just the weirdest, like, creepy image of just, like, these long eyelashes. Like, what is the point of that even? But it, something about it just really creeps me out. So you start off with that description, and already you you know that this V creature is going to show up at some time. Yeah. Because they're describing him in the beginning. And you know it's going to be horrifying when he does. Yeah. And it, it is, even just reading the story, not even watching a movie adaptation of it. The premise of the story, though, a really basic rundown, it starts off with these three seminary students in Ukraine, in Kiev, and they are just leaving the city for the holidays. And so it's the summertime, they're walking, they've got their shoes off, they're walking across this open field, and then all of a sudden they're lost. And they're like, oh, we don't have any place to spend the night. And they hear wolves howling, and and they start shouting out, Luzi, Luzi. They're looking out for people, and then they find a little cabin. They go up to the cabin, and there's this old lady who lives in the cabin, and surprise, surprise, she turns out to be a witch. And so, um, you know, lots of supernatural stuff happens. Yeah. And eventually, it focuses on Choma. Choma Brut is the main guy. Choma is a Ukrainian form of Thomas. Yeah. Focuses on him because the witch attacks him. So he runs away, and he's just trying to hide. And eventually, he gets commissioned by the head of the seminary to go to some far-off village and the guy says that the the landowner of that village, his daughter has just died, and he has asked for you to go pray for her eternal rest. And so he's asked for you by name, Choma Brut. And Choma is like, what? I'm not famous or anything. What? Why would he ask for me? He goes to the village. He has to pray for this girl for three nights, locked up inside the village church, which is all abandoned, and it's like this this old, falling-apart church. And he has to spend three nights locked in there with the girl's corpse, praying for her and then the big surprise is when he gets in there the first night he sees the girl and it's the same witch who attacked him in the cabin and this witch is just she's just got it in for him so that's all that i'll describe i don't want to spoil much of the uh, the story and what happens after that but it it just gets darker and darker and and it has a lot of humor in it too but it it's genuinely creepy but it also it draws from a lot of these slavic folklore elements it's got the idea of a circle as a magical protection Okay. That if you draw a circle in the earth around yourself, evil can't cross that boundary. So that's this ancient Slavic practice, and you see it in other cultures too. And even in during the first century, some of Jesus' contemporaries in the Jewish tradition, they would also meditate. They would draw a circle on the desert floor and sit inside the circle, and that was how they would sit and pray and meditate. Okay. That even shows up in the film The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. They've got a scene where they have they have Jesus doing that in the film. Okay. So then there's the, this tradition of, of the demons and creatures. They come to the church at night, and in Slavic folklore, there's this idea that the spirits of evil people, after they've died, they're trapped on earth and they have to do the devil's work. Yeah. So they come out of the graves and they go around at night to do evil. I think there are even like prison tattoos that have to do about that. Like you, how you said, like evil people, after they die, they kind of belong to the devil and they got to do what he says. I'm pretty sure uh, in reading about prison tattoos, there's things 
about that or ways that they tattoo things on their bodies to try not to let that happen when they die. Oh, interesting, man. Yeah, I've only scratched the surface of, of Russian prison tattoos, but it's a it's a fascinating yeah. subculture. Yeah. So so go on. Uh, what what happens then with the this creature, the V? Yeah. Well, I won't I won't spoil what happens with the creature, but uh, Gogol. Some people think that Gogol invented it for the story, and that 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 initial paragraph is just a literary device that he and he created. Okay. But in at least in other Slavic cultures there is there are stories of a creature called v in serbian folklore there's a giant called v and it can petrify you with its stare huh the serbian creature v it uh it's similar to one of the one of the bad guys in the russian fairy tale ivan buikovic and it's a, a traditional skazka fairy tale huh. there's a giant there that a lot of warriors have to come and pick up the giant's hair and eyebrows to reveal the giant's eye, and then the, the eye will kill you if it looks at you. Okay, wow. And there's actually a folklorist, Alexander Haggerty Crap. <laughs> Wait, I don't even know if that's how you say his last name. It's K-R-A-P-P-E, Crape. <laughs> yeah, what a name. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Crap, Mr. Crap says, uh, he talks about giants with heavy eyebrows and eyelids, he finds stories of those in a lot of European cultures, Irish, Welsh, Serbian. And so he thinks that they have this origin in early Indo-European culture yeah. when all the they all had a common ancestor way back when. Okay. So Wow. This story is is widely popular in Russia and it's it's popped up. I mean, it's almost what, 200 years old and it's just showed up throughout pop culture all over the place. It was actually the first Soviet horror film was a film based on this movie on this story in 1967 wow it was a, a film with really impressive special effects for the time too that how they make the witch fly and really kind of stands the test of time um long before that it was actually it inspired a, a silent film in 1909 yeah by vasily goncharov but that movie was lost nobody has a copy of it oh. have you heard about these there's a lot of them these lost movies from way back when Okay, what happened to these films? Yeah, I I don't know about the V one in particular, but but there were a lot of movies that that because they were just on film, and a lot of times it was nitrate film stock, it was highly flammable. Uh, you remember in the the movie, the Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, yeah, they okay. With that in the when they kill the Nazis, Shoshana burned up all of these films while she killed Hitler in an alternate reality. <laughs> <laughs> right. Got it. Yeah, so I'd, if if that was actually being accomplished, I'd be I'd be all in favor of it. I'm okay with killing Hitler. We could lose a few uh, historical films for, for something like that, but I mean, so maybe right. these maybe these films just burst into flames. Yeah, I, the nitrate film stock I think was known for spontaneously combusting, and or if if uh, someone was smoking near it, it, it would might catch flame. So. Right. Okay, so that maybe maybe that's what yeah. happened with that one. Between that and uh, and just you know getting lost and the damage by time and yeah, so a lot of early films we we only know about them from posters and things written about them or or little clips that have survived. Uh, there there are a few really good YouTube videos out there of the best lost horror films from those early decades of yeah. of film, and uh, one of them was actually the very first film version of the Phantom of the Opera, nineteen sixteen is one of those that we have no idea what it looked like. And uh, unfortunately, that first V one, too, it's it's up there with the lost films. So with V, were there were there adaptations? Did they, did this just happen in Russian? Or, I mean, have we had any English film films that are in English that were based off of this or anywhere else? That I know of, there have there's never been an English language adaptation, which is okay. interesting because... Because it's, I think, so few people in the English-speaking world know about this story, wow. which is unfortunate because it's a great, scary story. Yeah. But a lot of other cultures have, too. Uh, there's a Serbian film based on it. There's one from South Korea. Huh. There's a, a modern Russian movie from, from 2014. It's a more loose adaptation. Uh, I've watched it, and it's, actually, it's very entertaining. It's actually it's really well done, really good special effects, good uh, cinematography. Yeah. And it takes a kind of a rationalist approach where they're to the supernatural stuff. Uh, and they really play around with the plot a lot. Okay. But it's uh it's very entertaining. Really worth watching. Uh there's also a Ukrainian short animated film from 1996 which for being a Ukrainian film from 96 it's uh it's pretty well done. You know, it's kind of that jerky animation 
style. It's not the best yeah. animation quality, but the images are really cool. Cool. Like, especially the end scene where there's all these monsters and demons and the V monster. It's it's really creepy looking. Really cool. And that's on YouTube. We could even post that on our um our social yeah. media if we like. Yeah, we'll we'll post that up there so if you guys are interested in it, you can check it out, see how, see their take on it. Now, one other movie that has been an adaptation of the story loosely based on the story uh, that's worth mentioning, it's a 1960 Italian gothic horror movie called Black Sunday. In Italian, it's called La Maschera del Demonio, and it's also been called The Mask of Satan and Revenge of the Vampire. Mm. Uh, it's a really cool, like, just good gothic, black and white, creepy horror movie, kind of based on that story, roughly. Okay. But v, it's been referenced all over the place, video games, music, um, even in the, the American movie Piranha from 1978, they briefly mention the story at some point. Okay. So it's... Uh, Really a cultural icon and just a great story, in my opinion. Well, hey, uh, we want to share a little bit of this with you, our audience. Like we said, you can check out that animated film. But um, we're going to read a, a little bit from this. So let's, let's hear some of that. But a death-like silence prevailed. The coffin was motionless, and all the candles shone steadily. It was an awe-inspiring sight, this church lit up at midnight, with the corpse in the midst and no living soul near but one. The philosopher began to sing in various keys in order to stifle his fears, but every moment he glanced across at the coffin, and involuntarily the question came to his lips, Suppose she rose up after all. Nowhere was there the slightest sound nor stir. Not even did a cricket chirp in any corner. There was nothing audible but the slight sputtering of some distant candle or the faint fall of a drop of wax. Suppose she rose up after all. He raised his head. Then he looked around him wildly and rubbed his eyes. Yes, she was no longer lying in the coffin, but sitting upright. He turned away his eyes, but at once he looked again, terrified at the coffin. She stood up. Then she walked with closed eyes through the church, stretching out her arms as though she wanted to seize someone. She now came straight towards him. Full of alarm, he traced with his finger a circle around himself. Then in a loud voice, he began to recite the prayers and formulas of exorcism, which he had learnt from a monk who had often seen witches and evil spirits. She had almost reached the edge of the circle which he had traced, but it was evident that she had not the power to enter it. Her face wore a bluish tint, like that of one who has been several days dead. Tomas had not the courage to look at her. So terrible was her appearance. Her teeth chattered, and she opened her dead eyes. But as in her rage she saw nothing, she turned in another direction, felt with outstretched arms among the pillars and corners of the church in the hope of seizing him. At last she stood still, made a threatening gesture, and then lay down again. Next up, we have um, a story by Tolstoy, and this is this kind of goes back to the poem that we started with. Uh, this is called "The Family of the Verdalac," right? And it's a it's a vamp vampire story, right? Yeah, yeah, really cool gothic vampire story by Tolstoy. The interesting thing about this story, it, for a language nerd like me, anyway, maybe not for a normal person, <laughs> is that it was not written in Russian originally. He wrote it in oh. French, the first version. Oh wow! And he actually he wrote it in eighteen thirty nine, and I think that was before he had ever published anything. Okay, eighteen thirty nine. He he wrote it. He was on a trip. Uh, Tolstoy was working for the Russian embassy in Frankfurt at the time, and he was on a trip to France, and so maybe he was looking to practice his French on the way, his French language, and and so he wrote the story in French. Wow! So the original title is La Famille du Vaudalac, Fragment inédit des Mémoires d'un Inconnu. Okay. Which is the family of the Verdelac. 
and unedited segment of the recollections of an unknown person. Wow. I, uh, I can't even write a story in one language in English. I can't. I mean, that sounds, <laughs> sounds like an incredible feat doing uh, multiple yeah, language stories. I know you do that, Dave, but uh, you're, you're up there with Tolstoy, I guess. I've seen the stories that you wrote in your notebooks in Russia when I snuck your notebooks away. They had a lot of drawings <laughs> and pictures in them. Yeah, I'm probably more of a picture <laughs> type stories. <laughs> Grant is not illiterate, everybody. Grant, Grant knows how to read and write. I, I read a lot, but I, I don't write a lot. But um, All right, so tell, tell me more about this story. Yeah, so he, it, was, it was not even published until 1884, though. So, but like 45 wow. years after he wrote it, and it was published in Russia, translated into Russian as Simya Vurdalaka. So now the literal translation of the name. The original French text of it was not even published until 1950, a long wow. time after that. So that okay. was finally published in France in the Review of Slavic Studies, the Revue des Etudes Slaves, volume 26. Huh. So this really interesting history of going back and forth between languages. And the, the version that I found that I sent you that we'll, we can post on social media, it's a really good translation into English. Uh, okay. I've seen some others that, that were not great, but the one I've found, it's a, a pretty decent English translation. Yeah. So the Vurdalak, it's this this old old world Slavic version of a vampire. In this particular version, the Vurdalaki, they attack their own family members. Wow. That's who they go after. Rather than just random strangers or just needing blood, they, they go back to their family and attack their family members. Huh. So it sounds like a few dysfunctional families that I've known in my time. <laughs> yeah, going for blood at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> right. It's What's also interesting is how much in Slavic culture, the Vurdalak kind of overlaps with werewolves. Okay. And the, the Obrazin. You get that a lot where the categories are not as strictly defined as they are in, you know, if you buy a, a dictionary of mythology, you'll find yeah. them talk about it like they're different species of creatures. Uh, but even in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula turns into a wolf at some point. Yeah. And it's almost like all these creatures are kind of different manifestations of this very basic darkness or animal drive in people you know in in the night watch series that we talked about earlier there are light ones and dark ones and they kind of battle each other but a part of the dark ones there's vampires and werewolves but they call them lower dark ones so even even the higher dark ones kind of look at them with disdain and i think a part of it is because they both uh, use physical attacks on people, they don't just um, steal energy from people, but they but they steal blood or or whatever. And they also in the in that stories, there's some vampires who who do change into different animals in some way, kind oh, of wow. kind of silly. Like there's one vampire who's chasing a train, and instead of just flying as a a bat, he turns himself into a, a hare, a rabbit, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> runs along. Yeah, not not very alongside. threatening. No. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, it, it that that sentiment still kind of shows up in more modern vampire stories, if you will. Yeah, so this idea of, of vampires versus werewolves or team Edward and team Jacob. Yeah. That's a it's a pretty modern idea, but in huh. in that ancient folklore you have overlap with the different creatures. Okay. So yeah, this Vurdalak in this story, it is uh, it follows one family living out in the rural countryside. And the traveler who tells the story stays with the family. And so at one at the, the scene we're going to read here, it's a really cool scene where the family, the father went away from the house and he told them, you know what, if I'm not back in 10 days, it means that, well, he goes out hunting for a Vurdalak that they've, they know is out there somewhere. Ah. And he says, if I'm not back in 10 days, it means that I've been killed and don't let me in. Wow. That, I don't care what I say. Don't let me into the house if I come back. Yeah. And then, surprise, surprise, he comes back just barely 10 days after. And it's one of those great ambiguous scenes where they're like, is this him or isn't it? Can we trust him? Can we not? And there's uh, there's just so much psychology to go into with this idea that somebody is not the person you think they are. Wow. I would like to see a movie uh, on this one. That, that, sounds, that sounds like a good kind of horror story. Yeah, and this one, too, like, U.S. cinema has really overlooked it. 
for some reason. They they they've made like five different Spider-Man remakes in our lifetime already. <laughs> yeah. In the in the <laughs> and, in barely they, not even just our lifetime in the last 20 years. Yeah, in our adult lives. Yeah. <laughs> only after we've finished high school. Yeah. And but for some reason these great stories are out there and they just keep on uh overlooking them. So so yeah. Hollywood if you're listening king of Hollywood, you know, take some notes from To Russia With Love. Great stories out there that you guys should take advantage of. There are a couple film adaptations, though. There's uh, an Italian horror movie, Mario Bava's 1963 movie, Black Sabbath, uh, not related to the band, or, or maybe they took their name from it. Hmm. Uh, that movie has Boris Karloff in it, and it was based on this this story. Oh, cla- classic horror actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the, the greats all time. Yeah. Then there's a, a 1972 movie. It was an Italian-Spanish co-production called The Night of the Devils, and it was also based on the family of the Vurdalak. Why don't we pitch our own adaptation, an, an uh, English-speaking adaptation? Let's pitch that to Hollywood right now. Hollywood, like Dave said, King of Hollywood, if you're listening, what, we want to see this. Человек между тем все приближался к нам. Everyone looked at him fearfully. Still, the figure advanced towards us. He was a tall old man with a silver mustache and a pale, stern face, limping painfully along with a stick. As he approached, Dorje's face became darker. When the newcomer was near us, he stopped and surveyed his family with eyes that seemed to look right through them. They were so dull and sunken in their sockets. Well, he said in a hollow voice, no one stands up to greet me. What is this silence? Don't you see that I'm hurt? I then noticed that the old man's left side was bloodied. So we're going to go back to my boy Nikolai Gogol, with another creepy story, uh, shorter than the V story. Yeah. And this one is The Portrait. You've told me about this one. Yeah, re- really cool supernatural story by Gogol. Uh, and it involves, I, I I really want people to read this, so I'm not going to spoil much of it at all. The basic premise of it is uh, a portrait. This It's this artist, he's just shopping in, in the city, and he, he goes into a, an old, like, used antique shop, comes across a portrait and it's like the portrait has a life of its own. Yeah. You know, he stares into its eyes and he feels like it's a it's alive. So you know it's going to be some kind of creepy story about the portrait being haunted and and eventually this is not not too far into the story, the portrait gives the man money. It makes him rich. Mm. And then you've got a story of uh Faustian pact. Yeah. One of the very typical story of somebody who makes Makes a deal with the devil, makes a deal with evil, and and you know it's that's a such a common theme in in literature and film, and there's always the discussion of what does that look like, yeah, like a lot of a lot of times the devil wants your soul, you have to sign over your soul to him, and and of course you know people theologically question is that even possible, and then sometimes the devil wants you to kill somebody or he wants your family or yeah your health or you know he makes you die a terrible death or whatever. But in this story, though, the end, his end of the pact that he makes with the portrait, he gets money from it. He becomes, he uses that money to become a famous artist. Before that, he's a, he's a brilliant, talented artist, and he's really struggling, but he just, just can't make ends meet. Can't quite make it. Yeah. So the portrait gives him enough money that he can buy fame. He can buy a reputation as a good artist. So he pays off a, a newspaper editor to write an amazing review about him and and now he has people coming over to have to make portraits and and he's the guy and he buys all these gets a new apartment and fancy clothes so the the kicker of this deal with the devil that he makes is that he becomes a hack he becomes an uncreative like a corporate artist who's just making crappy art that is not inspired at all this story i've i've read this one before and it reminds me a little bit of the portrait of dorian gray where you've got this portrait okay. that has supernatural abilities, but it's it makes things not quite what they seem. So in Dorian Gray, you've get you've get this young guy who has a portrait of himself, but the portrait gets older and older while he stays young. And so his 
pact with the devil is is to have this life, but really his life he he has this age and he has all this in this portrait. And so for the Gogol story of the portrait is kind of similar. The portrait creates this life for this man, but it's not quite exactly what he was expecting or what he, what it seems like it was going to be. Definitely. That's it's a really cool uh really cool idea and concept in a in a story. Yeah, and I I think it's a fun take on the Faustian pact cuz so often it's like it's this really scary violent thing. Yeah. And here it's like, oh no, the worst thing that could happen to an artist is that you become popular for making bad art. Oh yeah. You <laughs> became popular for for making just crappy pop mass produced art and that's what makes you popular. Corporate office art, elevator music. <laughs> yeah. All that kind of stuff, but Yeah, it reminds me of that there's a Portlandia episode where they have a whole business that makes bad art for coffee shops. <laughs> and it's uh, do you remember that that sketch? I don't think I've seen that one, but I can I can imagine it. <laughs> yeah, they they're in this office and just, you know, talking about all these clichés of bad coffee shop art. Yeah. And that that's their job. Well, let's hear an excerpt from The Portrait by Nikolai Gogol. But in the portrait now before him, there was something singular. It was no longer art. It even destroyed the harmony of the portrait. They were living human eyes. It seemed as though they had been cut from a living man and inserted. Here was none of that high enjoyment which takes possession of the soul at the sight of an artist's production, no matter how terrible the subject he may have chosen. This next story that we're, we want to bring up is more of a modern Russian story. Some of these, you know, with Gogol and Tolstoy, those were almost 200 years ago. But this one's more uh, modern. And this is by Anna Staryobinets. Anna Staryobinets. Thanks, Dave. I, I do a really good job at getting kind of the, the English dumb version, but, but you help us out get the right way. And it's called Burning. Right. Yeah, the Russian title is Fikliya which is literally, it's it's a kind of a hellish reference, like in hellish flames. Uh-huh, okay. And if you read it, you find out why. Uh, Anna Starobinets, she's she has a few works translated into English, actually. She's a modern writer. Um, yeah. She's almost my age, and she was born, I think, she was born in the Soviet Union, definitely. Uh, she Journalists have called her the Russian Stephen King and the Queen of Russian Horror. Okay, and she is ex- just extremely prolific and a really great storyteller. Like really, and the it holds up well under translation too. The English translation that we have, unfortunately, we can't post any link to this one because it, it's so recent that it's not public domain. Yeah. But if you want to get it, check out Russian Life, the magazine. Russian Life has a selection of stories that they've been printing and publishing these little thin selections of Russian short stories translated to English. Yeah. And they have one called Dark and Creepy, about all dark and creepy stories, and it's contained in, in that version. We really like Russian life. It's, it's a good uh, good magazine, a good publication, and with a lot of interesting things. And, yeah, so check it out and, and find this story there. Well, what's what's this story about, the hellish hellish flames, the burning? Yeah, so the the story, for a title like that, you expect it to... To start off in, in some kind of supernatural, really surreal place. Yeah. But it's just the opposite. It's a it starts in a very real-life, modern Russian setting. It's just a guy who's in police custody. And we mm-hmm. don't know why his hands are handcuffed behind his back. And and he's in this, this like, little green room. Uh, the room, it, it has just this color green that's making him go crazy. And, and like, it, it reminds me of so many hospitals and public offices that I've been in and police stations in Russia. Institutionalized paint. <laughs> oh, yeah. And <laughs> just like the ugliest color possible. So the guy's in there. We we still don't know why he's in there. Then the cop comes in and the interrogation starts. And and it's one of these really typical hard-ass cop comes in and he's threatening the guy and he's all menacing toward the guy. And, yeah. and the guy's the one narrating the story. So so we, we side with him and we feel like maybe he's innocent after all. Maybe the cop's just messing with him. The interrogation starts, and then the cop says, okay, so so how did it start? What happened? Okay. And the first thing that our main character says 
He says it was a call for a six-year-old girl for a few hours. Usually we go for an hour, no more. So once he says that, you're like, whoa, this is really dark. This guy, is he's in child trafficking or something really, really messed up. Yeah, messed up stuff. Yeah, so so then you're just, you're already like, okay, this guy cannot get the the death sentence quick enough. This guy's (laughs) a piece of crap. And then the story goes on and he starts telling what happened. And it turns out, as he tells the story, this guy works for an entertainment agency and his job is to entertain children dressed up as Diet Maroz, as Father Frost. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like a Santa character. Yeah. So that, so that's what the call was for. It was, it's not a, a child prostitution thing at all. It's this guy, he's dressing up as Father Frost and entertaining children. And he got a call to go entertain a six year old girl. Okay. Then you're like, whoa, well, what the hell is going on here? Why is this guy in jail? And that's all I'm going to say, because then it takes a lot of twists and turns and surprises from then on. Yeah. But it's it's one of those stories that uh, it just hooks you in, and you're like, where the hell is this going? Okay. But it, it involves just some of that craziness and just bizarre kind of crazy people that you come across that you can only really find in a place like post-Soviet Russia. Yeah. Like some of the people that we came across when we lived there. <laughs> yeah. Not rational. A little bit out of it. Yeah. We'll... I, I I can think of yeah. a few of those folks, and even just the 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 type of people, a lot kind of like fat Mormon almost, uh, people who are not necessarily violent or dangerous or anything. It's not like they're a threat to you, yeah, in any way. Except there's just something off about them, something really uncanny, uh, like yeah. fat Mormon just feeding us the rotten chicken and <laughs> and saying it's America, it's Dorava David, pounding on our door at at all times of the day and night. <laughs> right. Yeah, just the kind of characters that the Mormons and Baptists would attract back in Russia when we were there. <laughs> Here's a little bit from this story, Burning. Лифт не работал. Пришлось идти пешком на 14 этаж. К подобного рода физическим нагрузкам. The elevator in the building on Warsaw Boulevard was not working. So I had to take the stairs all the way to the 14th floor. I was not prepared for this kind of a workout. You wouldn't call me fit on the best of days. I'm overweight. On the ninth floor, I had to put down the stupid red bag with presents and sit down on the steps to catch my breath. I felt a stabbing pain in my right side. I was sweating profusely inside my Father Frost outfit and my heart was flailing hysterically somewhere in my larynx. I must have been sitting there for a few minutes when I heard the steps. Someone was coming down the stairs at a run. I threw my head back to look who it was. And there she was. I sat, my back to the railing, still drenched in sweat and breathing hard, and watched a woman who had to be in her 80s skip down the stairs toward me. So the last creepy supernatural Russian story we want to share with you uh, this is by Alexander Pushkin, going back to Pushkin, the, the great poet, author of the poem we started off with. Yeah. Uh, we'll round it out coming back to him. He was also, he wrote prose as well. He wrote short stories. And so he wrote this story. It's called Pikavaya Dama, the Queen of Spades. Hmm. And it uh, takes place back in, you know, old school Russia, 1800s. And it centers around gamblers, guys who play cards. And uh, the main character, I'm kind of... I kind of feel a connection to this guy because he's a, a German in Russia. Okay. It doesn't say he's a Volga German, but he's he's a German who's been naturalized as a Russian citizen. So yeah. So I feel like I know he's a fictional character, but I feel like he could have been an ancestor of mine. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's based off of one of your ancestors. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. He's based off of Schmidt from the town of Bawer somewhere. <laughs> uh, so it's a story all about typical human drives, like the these dark sides of humanity, you know, human greed and avarice. Um, and there's all the good elements of a good murder story, a good mystery story here. Yeah. There is a, a death slash kind of maybe murder, maybe caused by a person. Okay. Uh, but there's also some supernatural elements here too. Huh. Predictions of the future. There's a ghost in here too. The basic, the premise of it though, is uh, that this man, he hears a story of somebody Somebody's grandmother who knows a secret incantation. She knows a secret number combination that if she will play these three cards in that order, she wins every time. 
Huh. And it's a secret combination, like a guaranteed trick to win at the tables. Okay. So eventually he goes to her house to try to get the secret out of her. And uh, I won't even say what happens beyond that. It, it just things, <laughs> You have to read the story. Things turn upside down a yeah. little bit. Things, things get crazy. But yeah. we've got ghosts. We've got predictions. We've got secret number combinations to win at gambling. Yeah, really cool twists and turns in this story. So, so read the whole thing. But uh, let's, let's jump in with a, a little short reading from one of the cool scenes. This is uh, the grandmother. After she has died, her, her ghost comes back and visits our main character. Он проснулся уже ночью. Луна озаряла его комнату. Он взглянул на часы. Было без четверки три. When he woke up, it was already night, and the moon was shining into the room. He looked at his watch. It was a quarter to three. Sleep had left him. He sat down upon his bed and thought of the funeral of the old countess. At that moment, somebody in the street looked in at his window and immediately passed on again. Herman paid no attention to this incident. A few moments afterwards, he heard the door of his anteroom open. Herman thought it was his orderly, drunk as usual, returning from some nocturnal expedition. But presently, he heard footsteps that were unknown to him. Somebody was walking softly over the floor in slippers. The door opened, and a woman dressed in white entered the room. Herman mistook her Herman mistook her for his old nurse and wondered what could bring her there at that hour of the night. But the white woman glided rapidly across the room and stood before him, and Herman recognized the Countess. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of this episode. We've we've talked about five different horror stories through uh, the histories of Russian literature. I just want to encourage all of you to check those out. Um, I find for myself that uh, in this time of uncertainty, twenty you know you guys know twenty twenty has not been great, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a lot blows. that blows this year it, blows. <laughs> there's a lot that we that we can and, and maybe should be afraid of, you know, the fr- uh, being afraid of the unknown, some of these invisible things that are, affect people's bodies and lives. And, and I think it, I think it's okay to be afraid of that type of stuff, but sometimes we need to get a, a, away from that a little bit and to get into the fantasy side of things and, and maybe to be afraid or scared of uh, of a, of a story that we know isn't true that is just for entertainment's sake. That might be a healthy thing for us to do during this time. What do you what do you think, Dave? Yeah, definitely. It's uh it's a, a welcome distraction to be afraid of of Urdalak or a ghost or something. Yeah. Um yeah. rather than, you know, fearing the world falling apart and chaos and more immediate <laughs> dangers. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, that's what that's what I love about scary stories is it's it's uh like the like a roller coaster, you know, the simulation of danger, but but nothing yeah. is going to get you. Yeah. But you and I, with the the religion, with the, the theology that we grew up with, we grew up with a lot of fear of, of evil and demons and devils, too. Yeah. I remember as a kid hearing, I would read those scary story books or, or watch a scary movie, and I would genuinely be afraid that, like, a demon was going to get me, that there was yeah. some evil spirit out there that could get me because I'd, I watched the wrong thing or I read the wrong thing. Or, or you said so, Bloody so Mary to, too many times in the mirror. Oh, don't ever do that, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't even, don't even joke about that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we grew up with a, a lot of this theology of where evil is very close and immediate and where good and redemption and God was, it was talked about, but it was almost further away in the way things were described to us of, yeah. you know, if you say or do the wrong thing, a demon might get you. And in, in that theology, like, where do, where is God in all of that? And God ends up being in some really distant place, almost kind of passive aggressively saying, well, you shouldn't have watched that scary movie, David. Now you got a demon in your life. That's your problem. <laughs> That's what you get for playing Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a, there's a great quote that I'd like to end with that, to counteract that kind of theology of fear. Uh, and it's a quote from St. John of Damascus. And this is, it's actually also yeah. related to the V story. Uh, in the V story, the hero, Homa, he, fear was his undoing in that story. Yeah. But it was a very spiritual kind of fear. 
like fear of his own sins, of his own imperfections and his own inadequacy and, and fear of evil, fear of of evil, a lot like what we grew up with, fear of evil getting you. Yeah, that is his major problem in the story. And so this quote from St. John of Damascus kind of counteracts that. So the quote is, all evil and impure passions have been conceived by evil spirits and they have been permitted to visit attacks upon man, but they are unable to force anyone, for it is in our power either to accept the visitation or not. Wow. So the main the idea there is, I think it's a healthy idea, no matter what your religion or beliefs or whatever, just talking about the idea of evil as a concept, the idea is that evil only has the power over you that you give to it. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a valid thing to say for for anyone whatever their beliefs may be. Yeah, we are we are people with agency, people with uh, abilities and like you said whatever you believe, uh, we have the opportunity to change our reality around us. So that's yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, so in in all this time of scariness and and real fears and imaginary fears and and in this time of Halloween, uh just you know, remember that you, you know, you can give into evil, to darkness, to human dark passions, to, to hatred, to anger. You can give into that or not. It really is all of our choice. Yeah. Well, thank you all again for listening to us on our third annual Halloween episode. I just want to acknowledge uh, things have been a lot slower this year for us here. I think this is, year has been slow for everybody. So I just want to say thanks for um for staying with us, even even though we haven't had quite the same content as we have in the past few years, we're uh, we're not done with this podcast. We still got a lot of things to say. We're hoping that uh, in the next year, in our next season, that we'll be we'll be able to put out a lot more. Definitely, one of the ways that we're able to do that is uh, is through your support. One, just by listening and sharing that with your friends, get it out so you know more people can hear what we're talking about. And then two. Uh, interacting with us you can you can leave a comment on our instagram page or our facebook page one of the other ways to uh, really substantially help us move forward is to become a patron Uh, we're on patreon right now you can find us at patreon.com forward slash trwl underscore podcast and every little bit helps just to keep the quality of our of our podcast up and to uh, to keep us uh, motivated and to know that you're there and you're listening and you want more. So um, with that being said, I do want to give a shout out to Arlen, who's uh, been supporting us for the past few months. Thank you, Arlen. We're glad that you're uh, you're part of the team and we hope others of you will want to be a part of the team as well. Well, uh, again, thanks for listening. Um, have a happy Halloween. Be safe. Be sure to vote out there if you're afraid about things happening. Uh, that's one of the ways that you can do uh, do something about that fear in your life. We will be we'll be taking a little bit of a break, but we'll be seeing you again next season. Treat each other well. Be good people. Be decent to each other. Be loving. Happy Halloween, everyone, and thanks for listening. This special Halloween episode of To Russia with Blood was brought to you by. V brand eyelash gel by Nikolai Gogol. When your lashes are three meters long, but they need to look their shiniest. And Tolstoy's Vordalak Family Counseling Center. Try our family therapy. You may not love all of your relatives, but at least you won't suck their blood. Happy Halloween. Спасибо за внимание. Please. Thank you. Надо меньше куриц.